Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, parents and grandparents and everyone else interested in kids. We're changing the name of the show this week. Instead of Ayers on the Road, we're going to call it Ayers in the Garage. (laughs) Honestly, I've had my head down all week trying to go through all this stuff from 43 years of marriage. It's been sitting there a long time. I have to say that our kids, a few of them came home at Christmas. The plan was that all of them came home, but that was our daughter's plan who isn't married and doesn't have any kids. So not all of them came, but four or five of them came. Well, let me give you the background, though, because here's why I was Ayers in the garage this week. We um, we had... we. We moved out of our child of our I was going to say our childhood home our kids' childhood home uh, about five years ago, much to their chagrin, much to their chagrin. They thought, like, Dad, how can you sell the house where all of our memories are? And we we were trying to figure out how to soften the blow a little, and we realized that a lot of their memories had to do with the furnishings in the house, not so much the house itself, or at least we sort of convinced ourselves of that and tried to convince them. So we had a grand auction of all of the furniture in that house. I mean, every stick, because we didn't need anything in the house we were moving into, and we hired an auctioneer, and we went around and put bid numbers on every single item. I think there were... 613 or some incredible number. I mean, it was everything. <laughs> you were the one that did it. You oh, know. oh, that's a lot of numbers. And we gave each of the kids, I, I'm not sure the amount, was it $40,000? $40,000. $40,000. Monopoly. Well, it was actually play money that you can buy at the novel. It was store. actually Monopoly money. You can't get that much Monopoly money, honey. The, the largest yeah, we bill was only $100. It was you Monopoly money. They'd have to have. <laughs> at any rate, it was not real money, but it was forty thousand dollars each and the idea was then we release ourselves trying to make those hard decisions who gets the piano three of them wanted five of them wanted six of them want this you know we wanted it to be fair and square and they could use their money however they wanted they could spend it all on one item if they wanted but what they bid on that's what they got and we hired a terrific guy who we've known for years he's a great fast talking auctioneer and he came with his tall top hat and his gavel and he started auctioning. How long did it last? It was, I oh my gosh. It was six hours. It was a long time. We had two kids on phones because they weren't anywhere near us. And we had grandkids standing there by their parents saying, I want the snakeskin. We have a both. <laughs> they wanted the weirdest thing. We, we did still have a few little blips because one of the guys on the phone wanted the boa constrictor. Yeah, two, two kids couldn't attend the auction, so they were bidding remotely by, by their cell phone. And so, um, anyway, it was pretty funny by the time we got through. Um, but here was the problem. Even after we did that, well, we should tell you a couple more little funny things. I know Linda wants to, but, but what I want to get to first is even after selling it all to them, and now they had their own stuff and it belonged to them, they're still not ready to take it yet, right? Because they don't have big enough places to put certain things. So we've got all this stuff that... That's just the furniture. Then on top of it is 40 years in the attic of papers and photos and letterman jackets and cowboy boots and 
stuff you even don't want to know. Stuff and, you don't even want to know. I mean, really, it was crazy. And it had been up there for a long, long time. In addition, we had two extra kids that we kind of semi-adopted on the way through that our kids brought home when they were on, they were missionaries. They brought a girl from Bulgaria home who we adore. She's the sunshine of our household for a lot of years, and then a cute boy from Ukraine who was an only child. Both of them were only children. Anyway. Do any, had, do any of your kids do that? Do they bring bring people home from their missions and say, uh, hey, Dad, you know, we got nine. I didn't figure a tenth one would make much difference or an eleventh <laughs> one, so we just brought them home. But they were, they were fabulous, they were fabulous. But they did send their stuff home, too, from their missions and from school and ask if we would just store it in the attic and forgot all about it, of course. So, um, actually, the day we went to the attic was hilarious. We pulled well, out. we sold the house, so we, we had to get it out of, the, out of the attic, and the and only place we had to put it was our garage. <laughs> well, what I have to say is what came out of the attic was not only tons of boxes and stuff, and we'd already reorganized once. One of our daughters in law said, okay, this Christmas your present is going to be, everybody's just going to have one box up in the attic, but three of the kids were gone that year. And um, some of them fudged a little bit because, you know what, it's just so hard. They don't have apartments. They don't have places where they can put theirs. I mean, they don't have houses. They have these teeny apartments. We have one son that um, went straight from the wedding to a teeny apartment down at BYU and then off to a 300-square-foot apartment in New York City on the Upper East Side and stayed in that one. Oh, then they moved to the 450-square-foot apartment and really... Ten years later, last Christmas, he finally came and picked up his wedding gifts. We still have a whole slew of wedding gifts from our youngest son. So needless to say, it is a huge job. So I've had my head down there, but the thing is, what it has done is brought back so many memories. We have letters and letters and letters that we've saved. They're really treasures. They, I mean, they're we sound like we're annoyed, but we're actually, we are annoyed in a way. But, oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> But we're thrilled at all the memories we've found, and it's caused us to. Now this will be uh, this will be an early promotion for a new book, Linda. But who knows when we'll get this book done? Maybe years. years. But we're we're going to write a memoir on the joys and sorrows, or the, the well, I don't even know what to call it, the highs and lows of raising a large family, and it's full of. It's going to be, believe me, full of humor, full of frustration, full of craziness, full of embarrassing situations. Full of hard times. Hard times, all the rest, but hopefully what will come through, because what's been coming through to us in retrospect, going through the garage this week and seeing all these all these things, what, what comes through is what a great time we had. I mean, memory is an interesting thing. You, 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 bend, you basically tend to you don't forget the hard times, but you sort of forget how hard they were. I mean, you sort of, what you remember is how cool it was and how interesting it was and how much you learned and how how you wouldn't trade any of these things that you're now recalling as you go through all these, all this paraphernalia. And, and it's, it's wonderful. It's actually really, really wonderful to think back all the good times and all the interesting things we learned together as parents of children. And by the way, that's one little, Linda said, don't get back on your marriage soapbox this week, but I, I got her just for a minute, honey, because you know what I've been thinking? We've been, we've been doing a lot of research lately on 
on the problems that traditional marriage is now facing in our world. And we mentioned last week the four strikes against marriage of a higher divorce rate, ongoing, oncoming gay marriage, um, people who cohabit and never bother to get married, and people who decide to stay single and never get married or live with anyone. And these four strikes are pushing marriage in the traditional sense of the word into the background and almost making it a an anomaly. It's not that the majority of people in the upcoming generation do not value marriage because they're they're in one of those four categories. And so here's what I've been thinking, Linda, as you look through all this stuff we've gone through in the garage, one of the things I say to you every once in a while is I look at you and I say, Linda, you are a brave woman to have had all those kids. You you had courage to go through those wild times for so many years. You are a person who deserves the Medal of Honor. And I really kind of feel that way. And so I'm going to turn that around and make a statement that may not sit too well with some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think a lot of the people who are choosing in this world not to get married or to cohabit or to do whatever they can to preserve their freedom, to preserve their options, not to get committed, not to get so much responsibility that they can't go do whatever they want. I, I mean, it would be typical to call that selfish. I'm going to go one step further. I think, I think they're cowards. I think what leads, I think what leads to the avoidance of responsibility and the avoid, avoidance of, of the commitments of marriage and family is often a lack of courage. I think people are afraid of it. I mean, we all are to some extent. Think back you listeners, to when you were contemplating marriage or contemplating proposing or contemplating the possibility of linking your life to someone else's for the rest of your lives, that's a scary thing. I mean, anyone who's not scared doesn't understand the magnitude of what marriage is. And so we all feel a little scared, but I'm going to say that those who summon the courage to go forward and make those commitments... That is a high-risk strategy, Linda. That's, 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 I mean, that's a word we usually use in business. Take the high-risk strategy. It takes courage to do that. The rewards are high, but the, the risks are also high. And I think that the greatest tribute you can pay to someone who has the courage and the strength and the integrity to get married is you're a risk-taker and you have courage. And I'll say that in the positive, but I also well, think it works in the negative for those who don't. Well, I have to jump in here, as I usually do, because you're only looking at it from your viewpoint. And I have to say there's a lot of beautiful, talented, educated young women who would die to get married, but they're stuck because really it's the guy that has to take the initiative usually. I mean, yeah, there are exceptions to that, but... Um, you're you're just kind of blanketing this whole thing with if you you know if you're young you can get married you can't always and you can't always have well children. no I'll go you with don't that. want it you don't absolutely don't want people to judge people who don't have children because it may be that they true. can't have children and I, and, I would, and, and I would have no problem with someone in either of those categories in fact that throws it back again I would say that the guys who are out there choosing to stay single on into their thirties and beyond. They all look at their own. They all look at themselves in the mirror and ask if they've got courage to go forward and take the risk 
of a commitment of marriage and family. Anyway, we're going to keep arguing here. But we are, because uh, actually you have a son who is in his 30s and is not married, and he is trying. And, uh, I mean, I know you think he can try harder, but, um, you know, it really is such an individual thing. But, I, you know, I agree with the fact that we should get more of these young adults married and on with their family life because it's just so darn much fun. We can say that now that they're all gone. <laughs> Let's take a little break, and we'll be back for the second half of Ayers in the Garage. And we're back. Um, I have a little more to say about the garage, actually, because <laughs> this is Ayers in the Garage this week in Sugar on the Road. We, it's amazing. We have been home for... 12 days, well, about 10 days because we're leaving in another two days, but um, that gave me some time to get down there and go through all that junk, and honestly, a lot of it was junk, and we took a lot to the DI, and we took carloads of the DI the day we went up in that attic, but um, and lots to the garbage, but it really is quite amazing. I mean, the thing that came out this time uh, more than I've noticed before is tons and tons and tons of negatives and slides of pictures and we have sent off a thousand or so pictures of old um, you know years ago pictures that Richard took and we love them but now we have more we have negatives just coming out our ears and they're all in albums but they're all in one album and we have nine children so they want it all digitalized so we're trying to figure out how to digitalize everything and so that everyone can have a copy and once it's done it's so great because it's just on your computer. What a world we live in. Well, let me just say, you know, I find it interesting that a lot of people, especially people I deal with in business, think that, you know, you're hearing things a lot like, let's let's have goals, let's think in the future, let's try to anticipate what's coming, and let's not live in the past. But let me tell you something. In my view... Living the, the happiest people I know have mastered a, quite a remarkable talent, which is to be able to live a little bit in the future, a little bit in the past, and a lot in the present all the time. Because there really is, when you think about it, there's joy in all three tenses, as it were. Uh, I like to plan. I like to think ahead. I like to anticipate things. I like to set goals. I think we should all do that, and there's a certain amount of joy in that. I certainly like to live in the present, and there's poetry galore on the joys of being aware of living in the moment, of of seeing things, of being into the moment and really living in the now. And obviously there's joy in doing that, but there's also joy in being reflective and in thinking back and in recalling things that were wonderful. I mean, we shouldn't just forge ahead and, and... Forget that which is behind, although a lot of a lot of times that fits into statements of wisdom. But in the right way, remembering what we've learned and relishing it and looking back at memories now and again and appreciating the things that have happened, especially in families. I mean, it is so remarkable now for us with, a, with our children grown to look back at Eli when he was three years old and just how he looked and what he did and... We were lucky enough to take a lot of, uh, I mean, today everyone takes little videos and you have them right on your phone and so on, but in those days it was quite a bit of work to get motion pictures, but thank goodness we did and we've had them all 
put onto DVDs now, and we're trying to get them on the cloud and get them where everyone can see them. But to look back and see how, number one, how much the same people are today. I mean, we knew a lot about our three-year-old's personalities, and sure enough, they've still got those same personalities. In fact, I have to say, just I have to interject this, because I found that so many times in reading through these old letters, which you forget if it's not written down. And kind of the sad thing about our world right now is that we don't write letters much anymore by yeah. hand, you know. Too so bad. it's something we have. I mean, it's in people's computers, but where, you know? I mean, maybe you're a great record keeper and you're keeping it in files and so on, but these letters, I mean, thousands of letters. We had three uh, of our kids on missions at the same time and then one at Wellesley at College, and everybody was writing letters to everybody, and honestly, reading through these letters was such an inspiration. But at one point, we did go up and build a log cabin up in the wilderness, and even Eli, when he was two years old, was worrying about his clothes. I mean, he was filthy dirty. He looked like he, you know, every morning we were camping trying to build this log cabin, and every morning he looked like he'd been rolled in dirt and then rolled in honey by 10 o'clock in the morning, but he was still worried about tucking his shirt in and how his clothes fit and pulling his pants up and so Which is who he is. He still does that to this day. He's he always about my clothes. Worried. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can help you I gotta, a lot. I got to just parenthetically throw in, Eli lives in Washington, D.C., but he was out here and he's like, Dad, you have got to get some new jeans. I mean, you're... It's like when you put on those those Tommy Bahama jeans, it's like you're hanging a sign around your neck that says old guy. <laughs> so I said, all right, you give me some, Eli. So I, I ended up with three pair of skinny jeans, and I'm telling you, Linda, I am not happy about it. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I mean, I can't get my cell phone in my pocket. <laughs> uh, honestly, you didn't have to go that extreme. And that Eli just said, go over to H&M and get something a little younger. <laughs> honestly, it's really pretty funny to see him solve sorry for that in a movie. Sorry anyway. for that diversion, but I, I did. I mean, you're right, Linda. Here, here's what I'm thinking, and maybe some of you listeners have, have thought a little about this. It's almost like we went through a black hole there for a little while. In the old days, in the old school days, we had letters, and we saved them, and that's what we're finding in our attic and so on. Now, today, honestly, it's pretty hard to lose a memory if you're really linked in because you got it on the cloud, you got it on your computer, you got it on your backup disk drive, you got it everywhere, and... You got iPhotos, so you're gonna—they're gonna tell you where you were, what date it was. Put, put a pin on a map for yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. It's like that's you've got everything. But there was a period, sort of, in the early computer days. Let's say you go back 15 years, and people are now—they're not—they're not take—they're not, take, not writing letters anymore. They're writing emails. But who knows where those things? Well, that's are. what I was gonna say. You Unless know. you really file things, I mean, things come up every week, and you dash off an email. And you're so excited to tell about something that's happened and so on, but then it's gone. It's off in cybersecurity somewhere back in the recesses of your computer. And and I do think that there's something about the written word that I'm really sorry that we're missing. But well, no, I, I, but I'd say blog. We, you know, we get these kids that are bloggers now, and, and they're they're doing good writing, but it's with the photos. It's it's on the cloud. You'll be able to find that's it forever. They've got a record vastly better than the one we have with letters, but. You're right. There's something wonderfully nostalgic about an old letter. I'll tell you something I did uh, that you just reminded me of that was actually a pretty good experiment for me. I I was trying to think of a unique gift to give our kids at Christmas last year, 
And you know what I did? I got some old stationery and I got a fountain pen and I wrote each of them a handwritten letter. And it was very unique. I think some of them hadn't got a letter like that in 10 years, maybe in their lives. I don't know. Oh, I think you'd done that before. Well, no. <laughs> not for many, 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 many years. years. That's right. So I think letters are good. But memories are good and it's good to preserve them. And it's good to, especially if you have a family reunion, or if you have a get-together at Christmas, or if you have something you do traditionally where you've got your family and your extended family together, devote a couple of hours of it to sort of memory lane and bring along some old photos or some old tapes or whatever and get people talking. I guarantee you that'll be a, that'll be a laugh riot. You know, a couple of months ago, just before I went off to have a wonderful retreat with our daughters and daughters-in-law, there are eight of them now, four daughters, four daughters-in-law, and I think we've talked about this before on the radio show, but I realized just before I left that none of our daughters-in-law had ever seen my mom and dad. They passed away. They were a generation older than most parents, and they passed away before they came into our family. And maybe they'd seen pictures, probably not of my dad, because he's just a cute little farmer and was never in any of the pictures except standing by a cow. He'd avoid the camera. And um, it really was fun because we did videotape him. When we came home from England in 1979, we knew he was ailing and we bought the very first video uh, camera that was on the market. And we went up and videoed he and my mother for about two hours one day. Well, all day, I think it was. And they just told stories about their childhood and so on. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, these girls are not going to sit for two hours and watch this. But I just went through little clips of just the little bits of stories that were so, you know, heart-tugging and gave them an idea of their personality. And now we have a son who's going to help me put it on a DVD for a reunion so that it's just a maybe a 15-minute thing so that they can we can hold the attention of the ch- grandchildren and, and, of course, none of the grandchildren. Well, yeah, yeah really, never very few of the grandchildren have seen either, either of my parents. So it really will be so fun to be able to show that to them and have them know who they are. And I want to say, you know, we've dwelled a lot on, we've dwelled a lot on memories, uh, the theme of this show, but... Uh, some of you younger parents who are listening may be saying, well, when are you going to say something for me? And you, you can extrapolate that a lot of what we're saying has to do with young parents and keeping the kind of memories that you'll want to look through someday in the future. But I also want to say, just picking up on what Linda just mentioned, there is nothing quite as powerful, and we'll spend a whole show on this sometime, but... There's nothing quite as moving and powerful for a child than to understand at a very young age his or her connection to his ancestors. And I'm talking about his parents, his grandparents, his great-grandparents, his great-great-grandparents. And it is not enough to show him some pedigree chart with little lines and little names. That'll mean nothing to him. But if you can have some kind of a chart that shows the roots of a tree, I think it's the best way to do it. And and the trunk is the parents, and he's a little kid, he's one of the branches. But the roots split into four from the trunk down, and there's pictures of his four grandparents. Then they split into eight, each of them splits to two, so there's eight. And you'll be able to find photos or some way to get a picture of each of the child's eight grandparents, great-grandparents. And I would guess, in fact, I'm sure if you put a little effort into it, you'll also find the next level down, 16 
pictures of your children's great-great-grandparents. And if you put them on this diagram so they see, oh, I'm one-sixteenth that person, I'm one-eighth that person, and then if you find some stories and have a story for each of those people so the child can see that person and say, ha, ah, I know a little about who that person was, and that was my great-grandfather. That will give your children uh, security throughout their lives. I mean, I can't overstress that, Linda. That's such a powerful thing. We'll spend a whole yeah. show on that. Sometime. We mentioned last time about the wonderful New York Times uh, article by Bruce Seiler yeah. that um, says that stories, kids knowing stories, give them more resilience and more self-reliance than anything we can do for them. So we hope that you will spend some time thinking about your own memories, and uh, we... Uh, appreciate your listening to us, and we will see you again very soon. Keep in mind that you're making memories all the time, and it's one thing to make them, it's another thing to preserve them. We'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road.